Good morning. Is it cold outside or what? I feel like I've been in a deep freeze. You know, I came here from Texas almost 25 years ago, and I thought after the first winter, I'll get used to it. And speaking of coming from Texas, if we have any Dallas Cowboy fans here, did you catch anything good on television last night? I want to say hello not only to all of you who are gathered here in the early Sunday service, but hello to all of you who are watching by streaming video. And television, we're getting ready to start a brand new series today, and I cannot wait to get started. What does the prospect of a new beginning sound like to you? I can tell you the answer to that question in some measure by just saying it kind of depends on where you are right now. If you feel like life is hitting on all eight cylinders and, and everything's working out real well for you right now, chances are this idea of a new beginning, tell me, Mark, let's we'll see if I catch anything I like. Because it's going well for you. Your career's going fine. Your marriage is in great shape if you're married. Or maybe, finally, you're not married anymore, and that's going in great shape. Or or maybe your kids are all behaving and and everything and doing great in school if you have kids. Or maybe your parents are not on your back as much as they have been in the past. Um, Just could be you're feeling good, and, and you're saying, Mark, the idea of a new beginning is not a real attractive concept to me because right now everything's going great. And I understand that, and I recognize that, and I've felt that way before. I've also lived long enough to know that that has a way of changing. It, it is, it's, it's like dialing something in and it not being able to hold that place. I mean, you get everything working out well, it doesn't seem to last very long. On the other hand, there's a skill, I guess, in answering that question. If you're at the opposite end of that, where you feel, you feel like nothing is working out in your life right now, this is a very attractive concept. You're, you're like a thirsty person who's been running a marathon, and you see somebody holding out a water bottle to you. Because if I ask you, how does a new beginning feel? You're like all ears. And you're ready to hear whatever I've got to say today because the idea of a new beginning is a very attractive prospect. Others of us are somewhere along that scale of maybe some things working out, some things not working out. But could I just tell you that these next five weeks are going to be critical for us. And all I've set up to this point is just to say this. If you don't need it in critical condition today, you will sometime. There will be a point where you will crave a new beginning desperately. Now, when I say new beginning, what I'm not talking about is being born over again. You know, we often fantasize about that, I think, or sometimes fantasize about it. What would it be like to just totally start life over again? And honestly, and I don't know how you feel about that question. I mean, first of all, it really doesn't matter because it's pretty much a moot point anyway, but because it ain't going to happen. But even if it were to happen, I don't find that a real attractive concept. I, I like being where I am in life. You know, I, even though I'm, I'm not a young person anymore, I sort of like being where I am. I enjoy this stage of life. And consequently, a lot of the things that I've worked through, I don't know that I'm really anxious to work through them again. So I'm not talking about going back to the, you know, to the birthing suite and starting back over as a baby. But what I am talking about is like taking this moment in time right now, like, like the group just sang about, Taking this moment in time and making your life start over again and start fresh and start new. Now, 
That's an attractive concept, like I said, to many of us, especially if things aren't going as well as we wish. It's also a concept that we sort of look at at the beginning of a new year. Last week, I talked to, about, I talked to us about the rhythm of life. For instance, every 24 hours, God gives us a picture of death and resurrection. We sleep at night. We hopefully sleep at night. And then we get up the next morning, and it's a new day. And God is giving us a picture every 24 hours of death and resurrection. God puts a rhythm to life. Part of that rhythm is a new year, and we're experiencing that. And there's something that just calls out to us every time we experience a new year, or, or as we are right now, a new decade, to say we need to make a new start, a new beginning. So that being said, let's talk now about the reason why many of us struggle to make a new start. And, and flat out, just being straight up with you and honest, the reason why we're reluctant to think about the concept of making a new start is we have a tendency to look in the past at opportunities lost, and we say to ourselves, the likelihood of me seriously being able to start fresh and start new is no longer there because I have, and here's the big one, I have squandered too many opportunities. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask that question, if I were sitting in the audience, have you squandered opportunities, I would have to put both hands up because even though I have taken many good opportunities, I have lost opportunities through my foolishness and immaturity. And so what we tend to do is we think about this idea of making a new start. We we say things like this, well, I could make a new start, but I I wish I had paid attention in school. When I was in school, I wish I'd paid attention. I wish I hadn't just, and this is one that I, because I I was an honor scholar, but to be honest with you, a lot of times in school and even in college, I was just trying to get a grade. I was just trying to get the A. I would learn the information. I would regurgitate it on a test. And so many times I've said to myself, I really wish I hadn't just studied to pass the class. I wish I had studied to learn. I wish I could go back to school. I wish I could take school seriously. You know, I wish I'd taken that scholarship seriously. I wish that I had had better friends. I wish I'd never gotten that credit card. I wish I'd been true to my first love. I wish I had been on time to work when I got that great job. I wish I could start life over again. I wish I could have picked a different career path. I wish I could have picked a different man. I wish I could have picked a different woman. You know, and that's how we tend to look at life. I can't start over again. And, it's sort, and here's the image that I have. I don't know which one you have, but it's kind of like somebody, you know, the morning after a party who looks at all of the debris and the litter from a party the night before left over. And we sort of look at our lives that way with all that debris and litter of lost opportunities and say, I can't start over again because I have squandered too many opportunities. That's what capitalize is all about. For the next four weeks, I'm going to share with you that you have four important resources and you have everything you need to start life over again. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I have learned so much. In fact, next week's talk, I did not plan to bring when I sketched out this series. It was just the more I studied the Bible, the more God showed me this powerful resource that I didn't even think about. So I'm going to tell you for the the four, four messages, the four talks I'm going to bring after today, I'm going to talk about four specific individual resources that you have that are totally adequate for you to start life over again. But today, I'm not going to get into any of those four. I want to talk about the principle that governs the whole process. This is really important. Maybe today's talk won't be as interesting as the next four, but I think you really need to engage in this principle before you see how the individual resources work out. Imagine, though, because somebody could say, well, Mark, I can't start over again because I have just wasted too many days, too many years. My good life is behind me. My youth is gone, some of us might say. It's just not possible for me. Well, let me ask you a question. What if 
you had squandered every opportunity and you had absolutely nothing left. I mean, suppose, and that, none of us are there. I'm going to show you for the next four weeks that none of us is in that place. But imagine what it would be like if you had wasted every single opportunity and you didn't have a dollar left in your bank account, you didn't have anybody to call, you didn't have any favors to call in, your career was totally, absolutely dead, and there were no opportunities and nobody interviewing you for a job. What if you had lost every meaningful relationship in your life? What if you had absolutely nothing left? What I want to do today is I want to prove to you that even if you were at that place, which none of us is, but even if you were at that place, I don't want to prove this just from life. I want to take you to the Bible and prove it to you. I want to show you that if you had absolutely nothing left, you still have an incredible resource that you could capitalize on and you could start life completely over again. Are you ready for it? I'm not going to talk long today, but I'm going to give you a huge principle. Well, let me start by saying this. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that God does not gloss over the failures of its heroes and heroines. You know, if I were writing the Bible, and time out for a moment, every once in a while a skeptic will say to me, well, Mark, how do you know that the Bible wasn't just written by a bunch of people that wanted to say good things about God and, you know, whip up this story? Well, there are many reasons. I could, I could stand here for two days and give you reasons why I know the Bible is the Word of God. But one reason that I think is very powerful is that when you read the Bible, God very clearly didn't write this book the way you and I would have written it. Because if we were trying to sell something, if we were trying to sell God, and we were telling the stories of great God followers, men and women, we wouldn't tell about their bad stuff, would we? If we were trying to sell something, for instance, I wouldn't tell about David. You know, I wouldn't tell about him lusting after his neighbor, sleeping with her, and whacking her husband to cover up a pregnancy. I'd leave that part out. I, wouldn't you? I mean, you're trying, I mean, I'd just put the Psalms in the Bible and say he, he killed a giant, you know? And he was a great king. I'd have left that part about Bathsheba out. If I were writing about Noah, I'd tell about how he, you know, built the ark with his family and all of his family was saved and put the animals together. I'd leave that part about him getting drunk and naked and embarrassing his family. I wouldn't put that in the Bible. You know, I'd leave that out. If I was writing about Abraham, and I'm going to talk to you about Abraham in a couple of weeks, about the great father of faith, this great man, I'd, I'd, that part about him going down to Egypt and telling his wife, you're such a beautiful woman, that if people know you're my wife, they're going to want to kill me and take you. So why don't you just tell everybody that you're my sister? And they take her into the palace, and she's about to be married to the Pharaoh. I mean, if, if I'm talking about a great Abraham, I wouldn't show him being a wuss like that. I'd just leave that part out. Wouldn't you? I mean, you know, they say Peter was the first pope. That's got to be the most laughable thing in the world because Peter was just like you and me. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the guy that, you know, Jesus picked him. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's a fisherman. Jesus picked him and, and, and followed Jesus for three and a half years. And on the night Jesus gets arrested, I mean, if I were writing the Bible, I'd leave that part out about Peter being asked if he knew Jesus and him cussing and saying he didn't know Jesus and had no idea who the guy was. I'd leave that part out. And even after, you know, we even after he got right and he became this great preacher who preached at Pentecost, I mean, Paul writes about heaven. I'd leave that part out about Paul having to climb his case for being a hypocrite because Peter was like one way with the traditional church crowd, and then when he got with the New Spring crowd, he was a totally different way. <laughs> and, and Paul said, I just had to climb all over the guy for being a hypocrite. I'd leave that out. But God didn't. You know why? 
Because God wants you to know that the men and women who follow him are not superheroes. They don't go into a phone booth and become superhuman. They're people like you and me, and they have feet of clay, and they screw up, and they needed new beginnings. In fact, this book is a book of new beginnings, and second chances, and third chances, and tenth chances, and five hundredth chances. This is God's way of saying, My people are frail. The only thing that makes them strong is God. And they need new chances and they need new beginnings. I'm going to talk to you for the four weeks after today about people who leveraged those resources and were able to begin again. I cannot wait for next week's message. I almost want to preach it right now, but I've got to lay the foundation today. I asked a question. I said, suppose you had nothing left. No favors to call in, no friends to call, no money in the bank, no, prom, no prospects, n- nothing looking good in the future. I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 to, to read you a story or tell you a story that I'll probably preach from five or six times this year because it's one of my favorites. The story begins in the beginning of chapter 15. I'll tell you this real quickly. Two groups of people used to come to hear Jesus. There was the group that would have been the ultra-religious, the Pharisees. They were the most religious people in Jesus' day. And then the bad to the bone crowd. These were the they, called, they were called sinners in the Bible. Basically what that meant is the community had just decided these people had no hope, no chance. They were so bad, nothing could help them. It is so interesting to me that these are the two groups that came to hear Jesus. Now, the, and what we understand very clearly from Luke chapter 15 is they came for different reasons. The people who were bad to the bone, they... they They'd never gone to religious experiences before. They probably didn't go to the synagogue because nobody would have let them in. And, and these are people that, you know, the, the world said there, there were no hope. But they streamed out to hear Jesus and they hung on every word. Because you know what Jesus was? He was the Son of God. He was the one, the whole, in fact, the Bible calls him the Word. His whole ministry was about new beginnings. You can see why the people that were bad to the bone, the rest of the community thought there was no hope for it. Why they loved to hear Jesus because they hung on every word as he told them they could have a new beginning. The ultra-religious crowd came from a, to- from a totally different perspective. They came to rip Jesus. You know why? Because he said people could have a new beginning. And they were saying, we don't need new beginnings. All you need is religion. All you need to be is perfect like us. And they came to find fault with everything Jesus taught. And so at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, they were ripping Jesus. And they were saying he hangs out. He's, you know, he's working with the wrong crowd here. And Jesus tells three stories, one after the other in Luke 15. The first story is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One of them strays away, and he leaves 99 safely in the fold. And he goes out to find the one that was lost. Jesus was saying, this is what I came to do. Then he tells a story about a woman who had a dowry that had 10 coins. I've shared with you before that if a woman lost a piece of her dowry, it's horrible. It was a very male-dominated culture back in those days. A man could divorce his wife for losing a piece of her dowry. She lost one of the coins, couldn't find it. Jesus said she swept the house got everything clean until she found that one coin that was missing. And then when she found it, she partied and called all her friends and said, Hey, come party with me. I found the one that was lost. But the last story is the one that literature experts tell us is perhaps the greatest short story in all history. It is the story of the lost boy. It is a story of a father who had two sons. And the older boy was the button-down, wingtip kid that did everything by the book. He had a bad attitude, but at least he did everything that his father asked him to do when his father was watching. But the younger boy was the bad-to-the-bone crowd that I talked about a little while ago. All he wanted to get was away. 
And one day he came to his father and he said, Dad, I know you're going to die someday and you're going to give me an inheritance. You owe it to me. I want you to give me my inheritance before you die. And then the Bible says in Luke 15 that he went as far away as he could get from home and he wasted the money with what the Bible calls undisciplined living. You can read that. I'm not going to read it to you today, but that's in Luke chapter 15. I just gave you about the first 16 verses. Now, why did Jesus tell that story? And this is where we're going to pick it up right now. This is not a story about a boy and his dad. It's a story about God and us. Do you know why we waste resources? You know, here's the thing. I've, I've taught the story of the prodigal son ever since I've been a, a, a teenage preacher. I've, I've preached from it hundreds of times as a pastor. And, and I get to thinking about this sometimes. I think we miss the main point of the prodigal son. What Jesus was trying to teach us is this. The reason why we lose opportunities and squander chances is we have the attitude of this boy. Because after all, it's not a boy looking at his dad. It's us looking at God. The first part of this boy's life was looking at God basically and saying, you owe me. If there is one thing that will screw us up, it is that idea, God, you owe me. I want what I deserve out of life. When you and I get angry at God, you know what we're saying? And I've been angry at God, so I'm not pointing at you. When we get angry at God, what we're saying is, God, you owe me. I talk to people all the time, and, and they'll, they'll tell me their objections about coming to God. Well, I don't know. What about this? And what about you know, all the bad things that happen in the world? How can God be fair? And, and you know what the whole idea, the whole premise of the, the, what they're saying is? I want God to owe me. The irony is, God does give people like that very many things. Just like the father said to the boy, okay, I will give you your inheritance. I mean, God is good to people who are not good to him. I mean, all of us, even if we're angry at God, and even, even if we're living with a sense of entitlement, God is still very good to us. And he gives us chances, and he gives us opportunities, and he gives us families, and he gives us education, and he gives us a mind to think with and a body to work with. And he gives us food to eat. I mean, here's the deal. James, the book of James tells us that every good thing in our life is a gift from God. And here we are living with entitlement. Wow, God, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. But when we live that way, we have a strange thing. It's, it's like the world revolves around us. It's that resources are meant to be used for me. And who cares about tomorrow? I'm going to live for today. There's something about that entitlement kind of living that causes us to waste resources. In Jesus' story, the boy went as far as he could get from home, and the Bible says he wasted his, all that inheritance. He blew it with undisciplined living. He blew his chances. And he got to the place where he was so hungry And nobody would feed him. The only job he could get was feeding hogs. He got so hungry that he was about to eat the slop. And that's where we pick it up. Verse 17. Finally, he came to his senses. Now we're about to see how to make a new beginning if you have absolutely nothing left. Finally, he came to his senses. He said to himself, at home... Even the hard servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. If you mark your Bible, mark that. I will go home to my father and say, 
Father, mark this if you're marking Bible, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Mark this, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And now mark this, please take me on as a hired servant. If I'm talking to somebody like me, and you've wasted a lot of resources because you've lived with a sense of entitlement, and God you owe me, and life you owe me, if you want to begin over again, four things you need to catch. First of all, this boy said, I'm going home. Now, in a minute, he's going to say that he has sinned. But I like what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to go home. There is a difference between guilt and repentance. A lot of us live with guilt. Guilt says, I've done wrong, but I'm not going to take it anywhere. I'm just going to stew over the fact that I've done wrong. That's what guilt will kill you. You know, here's the deal. God, the last thing in this world God wants you to have is guilt. Because guilt is a dead end street. Guilt says, I've screwed up. I've lost opportunities. Woe is me. I mean, here's the deal. Judas felt bad after he sold Jesus. He got 30, 30 pieces of silver for selling Jesus out. And after he did it, just a, just a short time, just minutes, hours after he sold Jesus, Judas had this overwhelming guilt, and he took the 30 pieces of silver, and he, he, he went to the guys that he sold Jesus to, and he asked them to take it back, and they wouldn't take it back. And Judas just threw it at, at their feet, and he went out and put a rope around his neck, and he hung himself. Don't you know? If Judas had just gone back to the man that he sold and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't know how I could have ever done that. He would have been forgiven, and maybe we would have heard about Judas preaching on Pentecost, the very one who sold Jesus out. The problem was he knew he sinned, but instead of taking it back to Jesus, he just took it and dealt with it by himself, and that's what so many of us do, and it eats us up. And and we say, well, surely there's got to be something healthy about me beating myself up, but there's not a thing in the world healthy about it, and that's the last thing God wants. This boy said, I'm going home. I don't have anything left. I've got the stink of the hog pen. I don't have a friend to call. I have no favors left to call in. I have no money in the bank. I've wasted it. But I'm going home. I'm going home. Now, Jesus' story is about God. Where is home? Home is going to God. Home is saying, I'm taking what I've got. I don't have anything left, but I'm going to God. I'm going home. The second thing he said, I'm going to say something. I figured this out. I know where I went wrong. Let me tell you something. If, you, if you're lying in the pieces of a broken life, You may not feel any better yet, but it is helpful just to know where you went wrong. The boy said, I know where I went wrong. I sinned against heaven. And and he said, I sinned against my dad. It's interesting, isn't it, that the first thing he said was he sinned against heaven. We would think that if a guy mistreated his dad that way, we would think, well, he just messed with his dad. But the boy said, I really, this is huge. I wish I knew how to preach. This is so important because our issues are God issues. We think it's with our husbands. We think it's with our wives. We think it's with our parents. We think it's with our kids. We think it's with the people that we work with, and we're just so earth-focused. But the truth of the matter is, if we've got a problem, it's a God problem. It's first a God problem. And this boy knew that the reason why he mistreated his dad was he had a bad attitude toward God. He had an entitlement view of life. God, you owe me. And he said, I'm, I know where I went wrong, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to make it right with God, and I'm going to make it right with the people I hurt. Third thing, 
He said, I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore. This is big. He was approaching God and saying, I'm, I've lost my sense of entitlement here. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you owe me anymore. I've, Dad, I've screwed up so bad. I've taken the money that you gave me. I wasted it. You don't owe me anymore. I'm just coming back. And number four, I'm now ready for self-discipline. Just make me a servant. I've, it's all been about me up to now and what made me feel good, but I'm ready for a different kind of life. Listen, if you could sum up what it means for a person to get right and come back for a new beginning, it is this. It is saying this time it's going to be different because this time I'm different. So many of us, we want to make a new beginning based on other people being different. Well, I'll be a different kind of husband if you become a different kind of wife. I'll be a different kind of wife if you'll be a different kind of husband. I'll be a different kind of employee if everybody at work starts treating me fair. <laughs> and how how's that work for us in the past? No, 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 no. New beginnings are on this basis. This time, it's going to be different because I'm not the same person. I am a different person. I have learned. I have been to the party. I see the debris of yesterday's party. And this time, it's going to be different. I know where I went wrong. I've sinned against God. It's God issues and it's people issues, and I'm making them right. And, and I'm, I'm going to be different this time. I'm going to say I'm not looking for a sense of entitlement. I'm ready for some self-discipline. Okay, I know our human nature some of you are saying, well, like, wait a minute, Mark, if that's what it's going to take, that doesn't sound fun. Self-discipline? Owning up to what I've done wrong? No more sense of entitlement? I can't say, God, you owe me? Let's read the rest of the story. While he was still a long way off, his father, who's the father in the story? God. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the father, notice this, God interrupted his speech right there. We just read all the things he was going to say. He had more stuff that he was going to say. He was going to say, make me a servant. I'm ready for some discipline. But God just cut him off right there. His father said to the servants, and I'm just going to read part of the expression because it's so good. Quick, bring the finest. You and I are either living life in one of two ways. Either God you owe me or we're living under God's finest. The cool thing about what happened here is when this boy came to God and he said, I know where I went wrong. I had God issues and I had issues with you and I'm going home and I'm not going to handle this myself. I'm going to trust you to handle it for me. And I'm going to say, I don't want to live under entitlement anymore. I'm ready for self-discipline. When he got to that place, God said, hey, you know what? You haven't experienced the finest yet. You've just been living along the lines of entitlement. Now you're going to live along the lines of my finest. The father said, bring out the best robe, bring out the ring, put it on his finger. The fatted calf, the stalled calf that we've been waiting, using, waiting for the barbecue, bring him out. We're going to have a party. And the Bible tells us about the greatest party you ever heard about in Luke 15. When a boy quit living according to entitlement, started living as a servant, and then he experienced God's finest. Let me ask you tonight, this morning rather, have you ever experienced God's finest? If you've if you've lived for yourself, you haven't experienced it yet. God wants you to experience it. Here's my point, and I'll close with this. I'm going to talk to you for the next four weeks about some powerful resources that you could leverage. But at the end of the day, 
your resources, God. I could talk to you about your friends. I could talk to you about your money. I could talk to you about your influence. I could talk to you about opportunities, and those are great. But at the end of the day, it's God who's your resource. Listen to this, Psalm 46 and 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Do you believe that today? God's your refuge. You say, but I've screwed up. I think he knows that. And you're not the only one. And the Bible says that when you're in trouble, I do wish I knew how to preach. When you're in trouble, he's present. Ever present. Have you ever ever been in trouble before and then just seen your friends scurry? You know, a lot of times when you're in trouble, people leave. But the Bible says that when you're in trouble, God is there. In fact, sometimes I honestly believe that's the reason why God lets us go through trouble. Because trouble is what makes us crave a new beginning and that causes us to run to God. I like that. All right, I'm, I'm the age I am, so I kind of know how people my age and maybe even a little older think. I'm reading some of your minds right now. It's really nice sounding, Mark, but not for me. I've lived up most of my life. If you'd caught me with this when I was 35, yeah, it'd have been helpful, but not now. I'm 50. And, and my career's dried up and blown away. And I'm just marking time till I die. I could be talking to somebody here today and you say, Mark, I'm 70. And my life is behind me. I'd love to do it again. If you ever listen to a, a minister, you need to listen to one right now. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's really complicated, isn't it? <laughs> now, if you're dead, we're finished here. But if you're not dead, you're not finished. When you think about your age, it doesn't matter what the culture thinks about people who are your age. What matters is what God thinks about you individually. You say, but Mark, how can I have a new beginning? I've got 60 years behind me of screwing up. How can I have a new beginning? Well, let me tell you how you can have a new beginning. Well, better yet, let let God tell you how you can have a new beginning. The Bible tells us, this is Mary Alice's favorite verse in the Bible. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. This is what she loves. Great is his faithfulness. How many times have I heard that at my house? Great is his faithfulness. His mercies began afresh each morning. You haven't experienced God's finest yet. It's going to start new tomorrow morning. And then after tomorrow finishes, it'll start new the next day. As long as you're alive, God is at work in your life and he's not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us from your word today. And Lord, I just pray that none of us would waste another day setting on a sense of entitlement or worrying about guilt or crying over past loss. Lord, help us to see today as a brand new day with new mercies fresh from heaven. And that if we're not 
dead yet. You've got stuff you want to accomplish in our lives. And Lord, so many of us here today have experienced your goodness, but we haven't experienced your finest. Help us to know what that feels like. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me one more moment, please? There is no new beginning like having Christ in your life. That is the ultimate new beginning. Jesus called it the new birth, and he did talk about being born over again. But it isn't a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. You're, you're, you're a physical person, but you're a spiritual person. More importantly, the person inside of you is never going to die. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that person needs to be born anew. And how does that happen? I tell you every weekend, but I love telling you every, every time I stand on stage. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he put his son on a cross to pay for all the things that you and I have done wrong so that we could have a new beginning that would last forever. A relationship with God, where God, like remember the story, it was the story of a dad and a son. God wants to become your father. He wants you to be his son, his daughter. And it's on the basis of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And here's the thing, it is a gift. It must be received. But if you're willing to receive God's gift of eternal life for you, he'll wash away your sins and he'll make you God's child. Every weekend I pray a prayer Not magic words. You can use your own if you wish. God's just looking for a yes. But I pray a prayer, and and if you've never invited Jesus to come into your life, I want to give you a chance to pray it with me and to make that decision. You ready? I'm going to pray this prayer slowly so you can think about every line. Dear God, I know I've done wrong, but I'm asking you for eternal life. I know Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins and he arose from the grave. I accept Jesus as my Savior and as my King and with your power I want to live a different life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray with me today, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a DVD uh, There's some DVDs and cool stuff in here. It's a vinyl packet. If you look at your worship folder that you got when you came in here, you can see a little picture of this on a card. And if if you'd like for me to mail it to you, all you got to do is just put your name and address on here and check the box that you prayed to receive Christ. You tear the card off. In a few moments, there'll be an offering bag. You can drop it in the offering bag, and um, I'll mail it to you. If you want to get it today, um, you can just go right back. I'm pointing right behind the cameras to new, uh, guest services. You can just go back there and hand the card to them and say, I pray with Mark. You, they won't bother you or mess with you or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark. They'll give you, the, you give them the card. They'll give you this. You can take it with you today. I am so glad you guys are here. Next week, the series really gets up and running. I cannot wait to bring next week's talk from Capital Eyes. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward now to receive the offering. And while they're coming forward... I would like to tell you about a new opportunity here at New Spring. We have, uh, if, if, if you, any of you guys have ever heard of Dave Ramsey, you know he is a real smart guy in the areas of finances. And, and for those of us who would like to ramp that up, there is going to be a Wednesday evening uh, group that's going to meet, a Dave Ramsey group. And um, we're, we're really excited about that. It starts on the 20th of this month. But if you want to be part of that, it's very limited. There's only space for like 24 people. Um, and so I want to let you know that you do need to go buy New Spring Store and pick up a resource packet, which is pretty substantial. The money doesn't come to us. It, it's to pay for that resource packet. It is $100, and if you're a couple, you can do it together. 
for the same cost. But you need, if you're interested in that, you need to move on it real quickly because space is very limited. God bless. Thanks for coming today. And-